Hey, and welcome to the Into the Adultverse podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing a pretty special episode this quarantine. Um, it's going to be an interview session, different from what we normally do. Uh, but we're not interviewing anyone else. In fact, Damien is interviewing me. Uh, so Damien, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're switching things up a bit. And we know that a large part of our audience, too, comes from an engineering background. Although we're trying to provide an, uh, an experience this episode where anybody who's really going through the co-op grind can take a lot of value from this. So I'm going to be asking him a bunch of questions about the whole co-op experience, and then we're going to see what kind of value we can get out of that. Awesome. So without further ado, let's get started. All right. So welcome back to... Into the adult versus quarantine edition. Uh, we got our special guest, Fouad, in the lobby today. Thank you, Fouad, for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited. You know, quarantine's been tough, so always looking for ways to basically not be in quarantine. Uh, and luckily, we've had a lot of practice doing this, like, long distance. You know, our relationship has been long distance recently. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, doing this over FaceTime, you know, is old hat to us. So hopefully you guys don't notice any disruptions or anything like that. For sure. So, kind of, yeah, as we kind of touched on in the intro, um, we're going to be discussing your experience going through co-op as an engineering student. And also, I suppose, any lessons you might have learned vicariously through friends or any others that you know um, and their experiences too. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. And how about, why don't you start us off with just basically running us through how your co-op's been so far, what kind of um, positions you've landed, and just general comments on that. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess I'll start from the top. Uh, you know, I'll link my LinkedIn profile too. Uh, feel free to connect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but yeah, I'll start from the top. So uh, I'm in biomedical and electrical engineering at McMaster. Uh, I just finished my third year. I'm doing a year of co-ops. So what that means is like four terms in a row, pretty much 16 months of co-op, uh, but at four different companies. And uh, after that, I'll be going back to school, finishing fourth year, and then, you know, going into work full time. Um, I'm in biometal and electrical, but most of my co-ops have been in software. I actually didn't know I wanted to do software until uh, around second year. So my first co-op was like a more biomed research focused. Um, and then after that, I kind of got more interested in tech, you know, went to a few hackathons and things like that. Um, and kind of made the decision to switch in second year. I didn't switch programs, but I kind of switched my focus more so. Um, and then in second year summer, I worked at a, a small local Hamilton startup incubated at the forge. Uh, it was like pretty much unpaid. Uh, it was kind of a scam of an experience, but <laughs> I don't want to say scam. I, I learned, I learned a lot, you know, but it was more like very much self-directed and not really like a formal company structure, or like mentorship or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, the year after is when I started my year of co-ops. So interviewed a lot. Uh, first one was at Publicist Sapient. They're a consulting firm. I worked on the Walmart account. So I worked mainly at walmart.ca. Um, second was at Wallsimple. They're pretty big in the Toronto startup scene, but they do like fintech, like robo-advising investments and things like that. I was like a back-end engineer there. I'm currently at Tesla. Um, was supposed to be in Palo Alto, but unfortunately I had to fly back because of this quarantine stuff uh, a few days ago. Um, and then my next term is in San Francisco at Twitter, uh, but you know, we'll see how that turns out as well. Um, so yeah, I had a kind of wide range of experiences, you know, clean energy, finance, consulting, um, 
as well as like social media to come, I guess. Um, and like also research. So, yeah. Yeah. So very diverse set of experiences and, Mm -hmm. and you still have one more term left to come. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be great too. Lots of, um, different experiences to be learned from that. For sure. Um, my bad. I also forgot I'm doing concurrently to Tesla, another internship with, uh, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. It's more like a U.S. government-focused position. I can talk about that later, but that one's remote, so, yeah. Or, yeah, why not just, like, just throw that in quick, and then we can give you a proper background. So if you just want to just... Yeah, so that's, like, a uh, position I'm doing with the U.S. government. Um, they have, like, a virtual internship program. Uh, so it was eight months starting September. I've pretty much done it right now. Um, September's, like, like April, essentially. Um and yeah, that's remote and part-time. Uh, so I was doing it on top of the other internships I was doing. So yeah. Mm. My boy's hustling out here. I'd love <laughs> to see it. Uh, so how, have, how historically, how have you applied or gone about applying for each of the co-ops that you've secured? And what have you learned from that whole process? Yeah, for sure. So my application process, that's definitely changed a lot over the years. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of starts off just like applying online to like job portals and things like that. And that's like super, super valuable, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. Like that's very necessary step and like important to do. Um, but, uh, on mass applying, it's kind of difficult to do unless you have a really strong resume already. Uh, it's kind of hard to get picked out kind of uh, like in the ocean of applicants, especially with things like, you know, Google gets like, I want to say like, something like 40 million applications or, or something like that. It's like some ridiculously high number. Um, or like maybe it's 4 million. Maybe I'm off by a factor of magnitude. But like the point is they get a shit ton of applications and like they only accept like a thousand interns or whatever. So uh, like standing out in that in that kind of crowd is pretty hard. Um, so in the beginning, it's like a lot of like no luck. Uh, but as you get, you know, more companies on your resume and things like that, it definitely gets easier. So it's been a very incremental process for me. As you can kind of tell by my resume too, you know, like experiences stack up and you get better as time goes on. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of applying, I'd say the biggest thing that's changed for me is that, um, you know, I try and get a lot more referrals now, um, which is like a really good avenue. But on top of that, I message a lot of recruiters. Um, So, uh, you know, I find people on LinkedIn that work as recruiters in departments or teams that I want to work on and I message them directly or I email them directly. And, um, you know, I introduce myself, explain my experiences and like really show genuine passion for the position um, and try and go about it that way. Cause that it's like a very, very much more personal than just like applying and somebody scrolling past your resume or like seeing it in a stack of resumes. Um, and obviously like getting referrals and stuff from friends who have worked on teams that I think are interesting as well. Um, so yeah, that's definitely been a huge change. That's not something I really did in second year. Um, I think part of that too was like, I didn't really feel like I could be picky because, you know, I was like, well, I'll take whatever I can get. Uh, but now, like, right. as you kind of get more focused into, you know, certain subject areas and, like, you realize that there are certain things you want to work on, uh, it becomes a lot easier to, how do I put this, um, like, focus on the positions you want. And because you're focusing on fewer positions, you can really take the time to, like, make those more personalized and, like, more meaningful applications. So I guess like with when you were first starting out, you pretty much just went about it through just cold applying, like going through the job portals and stuff Yeah, and yeah. such. And now you're looking to a more personal approach, um, going through the recruiters. Yeah. Or, or so getting, yeah. T- to compare those two, like my, my term over the summer at Publicist Sapient, I got because 
I applied online directly on their site and, you know, mm-hmm. I got called in for an interview or whatever. Um, and then my most recent term, Tesla, um, I actually got it because I messaged the manager on LinkedIn because like one of his posts showed up in my feed. Um, and like I read his post and it was like pretty cool. Um, so like I messaged him on LinkedIn. I was like, Hey, like your team's really cool. Like, are you guys hiring interns and stuff? And he replied, he was like, yeah, send me your resume. So like that kind of shows you how mm-hmm. like, you know, applications have changed over time. Yeah. Cause even from, uh, like I have two friends that have, uh, gotten other positions at Tesla as well. And mm-hmm. both of them went about it the exact same way. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is, so it, even moving forward now, is that, this strategy that you're going to be defaulting to, you're going to be using primarily, do you still apply to like portals or you pretty much just stick the um, direct messaging Mm -hmm. route? Um, I think I'm like a lot more picky now. So what I'll do is like, if I find a position I really like on a portal, I'll apply to it and then message the recruiter for that position. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'll do. Um, I won't like on mass apply on portals. Um, It's a little bit different for full-time too, because a lot of times with internships, it's more like you apply and then like, you know, they'll match you to a team after. Uh, but for full-time positions, a lot of it's like you apply to the team directly because like people really care what team they're on and what problem they're working on. Um, so it'll be a little different, like looking forward. Um, and honestly, that's something I've realized too. Like beyond company, like team really, really, really matters. Um, so you know, I don't apply to positions if I don't know the team I'm going to be on, pretty much. So I see. Okay. Yeah. And how does that? conversation look when you're reaching out to recruiters or managers through linkedin or other um, platforms yeah so typically how it'll be is like i'll be like hey like my name is fuad um and you message like different recruiters because there are different recruiters for like different like departments and things like Mm -hmm. that so like different hr people support different teams and things like that so you ideally want to find someone who like supports the team that you want to work with and then you kind of message and you're like hey my name is fuad i'm a you know blank student in blank I have this many years of experience in this. I was really, really interested in this subject material. I've done a project on it like here or like I've had work experience in it here. Um, Would love to apply or see if there are open positions um, or like just learn more about it. Um, Let's organize a chat over the phone or, you know, talk over email. Uh, Here's my resume. Like that's pretty much how it goes. Those are like the four things. Well, I didn't count those, but like those are the few points (laughs) I want to hit. Hopefully this four. (laughs) Um, okay. Just because I know when, I think that, that method about going about trying to get, um, a position is starting to get a lot more attention now, but it's still hard for some people to know how to navigate that. And some Mm -hmm. people tend to take too much of a predatory approach to that. So when they reach out to somebody through LinkedIn, that's perhaps working in a position that they would like to be in, they go about it with the intention of how can I get a job out of that, this interaction, as opposed Mm. to how can I learn more about the position like, and better poise myself to get a mm-hmm. position in the future? Um, and I feel like a lot of people can smell that, you know, predatory oh, energy coming from you. Yeah. It's like complete, especially when you're in person, you know, like when it comes to um, when you're at conferences and such, you know, that's a great opportunity for like networking, just to have interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. Not everything has to be about getting a job. And especially mm-hmm. if you can build a rapport first, which I'm sure like you've done, especially through the experiences you already had. If you can build out the rapport, people will be more than happy to lend you that referral. Mm-hmm. And having mm-hmm. that introduction through that mutual friend or whatever it is can really um, make leaps and bounds towards making a good first impression. Yeah, that's super, super true. I'm really glad you mentioned that because, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't quite go over this in my answer, but I think that's so important. Like, 
there's a very big difference between being like, hey, like I'm interested in these positions. I would love to learn more. Um, you know, I think this team does really great work. Um, let me know if there's open positions versus like, hey, I want to work on this team. Can you get me a job? You know, there's a very, yeah. very big difference. And there's a very specific way you want to word these things too, because like, especially HR professionals are like basically flooded with LinkedIn messages. Even like yeah. regular engineers are too. Like, bro, my inbox is like, everybody's inbox pretty much is like, like hugely messed up on, on LinkedIn. Hugely fucked, right. I was going to say. But you know, this isn't a PJ-13 <laughs> show. Um, so yeah, like that's very important to keep in mind that you, this person is doing you a favor by even looking at your message. Like they're taking time out of, out of their day to, you know, mm-hmm. like reach out to you and like respond to you because like a lot of it is noise on LinkedIn. So you want to set yourself apart from the noise. And the way you do that is like obviously making it very personalized. Like if I see a message, copy paste it, I literally just remove that message from my inbox. Like I delete it. I don't even look at it. Um, and like, I can tell because like there are a lot of copy pasted messages out there. Um, for sure. And so you got to remember, like, if you were in that position, what would you want to do? And keep in mind that, like, you know, sometimes you won't get a job, but like, it's always valuable to learn from someone's experience or like talk to somebody in the industry that has a job you want, because maybe you won't get a referral or, or a job, but like, you'll learn something about what you want to do and like how you want to go forward in your career. Exactly. And so that's very, very important to keep in mind. So you've gone about the application process and you've gotten called in for an interview. Do you have any general tips on prepping for interviews outside of rehearsing the answer, your answers to the most common questions you'll get asked? Yeah, so uh, I guess I can speak more specifically to software engineering interviews. Um, yep. Those are like, obviously just lead code. Like, you know, you want to be as good at coding as you can. You want to be able to solve things optimally. You want to know your data structures and algorithms really well. Um, so that's very, very important. But beyond that, I think what's overlooked a lot is if you know what team you're interviewing for, or you know, even in your interviewer name, um, doing a lot of research and as much research as you can because at the end of the day you're interviewing with a person yeah. and that's something very easy to forget in terms of like it's a person they have personal interests they have personal experiences they have a lot to speak of from their own personal perspective and people love talking about themselves so um, in order to like and you, you kind of at the end of the day want to leave the interviewer feeling as good as they can um, sure. so one way to do that and a really good way to do that is and I was saying this like so like, you know, take advantage of them, but like do it because you're generally interested in the experiences <laughs> too. like get them to talk a lot about themselves, you know, their journey, uh, their experiences, uh, you know, things they're interested in, uh, whether that be like a software thing or maybe they're on a Frisbee team and you play Frisbee too or something like that. Um, that goes a long way in like establishing rapport and making sure you're a memorable candidate. Um, so, for example, like if you're interviewing with the team that like is specifically in machine learning or AI or like natural language processing them, like talk about NLP and be like, Hey, like, you know, I saw this article in the news about NLP. Uh, what do you think about this? Like having, like having somebody ask that in an interview is like a great experience. You know what I mean? Like where somebody like asked about a current pressing issue that you might have expertise on and like they actually are interested in your opinion on it. And, you know, you have a discussion from there. Like that's, that's a really, really positive thing. Um, so, I mean, obviously beyond being as technically prepared as you can, that's very something very important to keep in mind. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on was like communication is so important. Like, you, you know, you could code the perfect thing in like three seconds, but if you're not able to express your answer to your interviewer, that's like a huge, huge lacking. Um, and I think that's something a lot of engineers, you know, naturally have problems with because it's not something our, our school curriculum really encourages or like teaches that well. Um, so the best way to practice that is doing mock interviews. Um, and like mock interviews are very different from like coding a problem on leco.com. 
um, sure. because like, you know, you have to talk out your process and things like that. So very, very, very much suggest doing as many of those as you can, preferably with strangers too. You know, if you can do it, if you can only do it with your friends, that's fine. But there's some platforms online for you to be able to do it with strangers too. And that really helps in terms of like talking to somebody who doesn't necessarily understand how you communicate and like the nuances of how you communicate. Because mm-hmm. with friends, it's like very easy to get into a habit of, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, don't worry about that. Or like something like that, which wouldn't happen in an interview because the interviewer isn't necessarily uh, in the same plane of communication as you all the time. So yeah, that, that's another piece of advice. That's a great points there. So basically the secret sauce is flip the table and start interviewing your interviewer oh 100 percent. an interview is a discussion yeah. at the end of the day it's like yeah. it's a conversation it has to go both ways yeah yeah um and also i guess like speaking to your second point that's the whole idea of like eq or like emotional intelligence mm-hmm. it's starting to become more and more important within the workplace mm-hmm. um i've heard plenty and plenty of stories about um recruiters or hiring managers that have glossed over applicants who otherwise had phenomenal technical ability just because they had low EQ and they knew that they weren't going to play well within the team. Mm-hmm. So being able to, yeah, the communication aspect of that is hugely important. And like, it's definitely something that's being played. There's a lot more emphasis placed on it more recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And you got to remember, even if you're not placing emphasis on it and they don't think they're playing, placing emphasis on it, when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, you pick who you like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you can be somebody that's a lot more likable and like, you know, can communicate way more clearly, it's always a good thing. It's never a bad thing. They're never gonna be like, Oh, I like that guy too much. Like, you know, I don't think we should hire him. Like you have to, you also have to remember that they're hiring somebody that's going to be on their team, right? They have to sit with your ass, like in the next desk forever, like for, you know, four months potentially. Right. So like, yeah, nobody's gonna do that if they hate your guts. Right. So, (laughs) As Kendrick Lamar said, "Oh yeah, sit down, be humble." Exactly, sit down, be humble. Yeah, it's a good, good um, way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, one thing, especially when you're first starting out, the rejections. You know, you've you've gone through your interviews, and now mm-hmm. your inbox is flooded with if if they do get back to you with, "Oh, um, thank you for applying. We have chosen to go with another candidate at this time," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And mm-hmm. you know those get really draining oh, yeah. when you've dedicated so much of your energy to prepping for these interviews and nothing is pa- panning out. Mm-hmm. How do you, how historically have you dealt with that? How do you deal with that now? Yeah. Yeah. This is a good question. Historically and now. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I told you like in the summer of second year, um, I pretty much worked at like a local Hamilton startup for pretty much zero pay. And that wasn't like necessarily by choice. Like I applied a lot. <laughs> I interviewed <laughs> with a lot of different companies. Like, you know, oh, well, I didn't even have that many interviews. I think I had like five or six interviews. Um, probably like 300, 400 companies. Like, yeah, like 300 rejections, 100 R bombs, you know, like five interviews, five rejections. Um, so, like, you know, it, it, it didn't start out, you know, with me getting good jobs. It definitely started out with me getting rejected a lot. Um, mm. And, you know, like different rejections hurt differently. You know, if it's a job you didn't really want, sometimes, it's, you know, you see it, you move on, it's, it's whatever. Uh, sometimes it stings a lot. Like my first Google rejection, like, man, like I put on some sad music and that song is the most played <laughs> song of my 2018, which is kind of sad. Like I, like I look back at it and it's still my most played song of 2018. I, it's this one song that I just play when I'm sad. It's in my right. rap 2019 and it's first place. And like, I don't even listen to that song ever, but like that entire day I had it on loop and I just got very depressed. I took a long shower and like that's it um so you know there are those ones for sure and that's totally fine like 
at, at the moment it, it seems like your world's ending but you know you always got to keep your head up and keep going and you will like have faith that you will as well so i can't lie sure. that that's definitely happened before and you know i have no shame in saying that like you know like i was super bummed out whatever um but yeah it's, it's hard to keep your head up with that i think a big thing is like um keeping in mind that there are so many different opportunities out there like getting rejected from one isn't necessarily the end of the world because like there's so many other interesting companies to work for that is like you haven't been rejected from eight of them at the same time right you were just rejected from one there's still seven to shoot for so that's something very important to keep in mind Uh, another thing to keep in mind is that progress is incremental um you know you don't necessarily like not get a job and then get a job you might like not get a job you want get another job that you think is okay and then like you know get a better job in a different industry and then like pivot to the industry that you want like there's a lot of pathways to get to where you what where you want it's not necessarily a to b sometimes it's like a c d e f g to b um and like that's something very important to keep in mind like your path doesn't have to be linear and those detours along the way aren't just like necessarily stepping stones to what you want to get to like they can be valuable experiences in and of themselves. And when you get to B, you're not necessarily the same person like that got to B from A. You know what I mean? Like those experiences in and of themselves had value and taught you something. So when you get to B, you know, if that's if that is your end goal and you obviously want to get to B at the end of the day, um, you know, those were all valuable experiences and influence how you got there and what you do in that position too. Um, so thinking of things like that is like really important in terms of like, yeah, like, I got rejected from this position, but like, um, like I want to keep going. And I know that these other positions are, you know, maybe not my end goal, but they'll teach me something really valuable. And, uh, you know, I'll take as much as I can from them and then continue on from there. That's something that's really important to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Like make sure you keep that growth mindset so that, you know, if you have a growth mindset, those, all those failures really can't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Again, like, growth yeah. mindset is probably like the number one thing you can have in terms of like, getting over those rejections and the other thing to remember too is like everybody gets rejected bro like i still get rejected like all the time from good companies by the shorties oh (laughs) okay i don't know (laughs) it's a different podcast episode bro but we could do an interview (laughs) um yeah like i still get rejected all the time i get rejected from internal positions at tesla you know what i mean i already work there so it's like yeah, like rejections don't mean that much. It doesn't necessarily mean that you weren't the right candidate. It just means like, you know, maybe it wasn't the right time or place or like maybe they already had somebody in mind. Like I've had like amazing interviews where I've been rejected and I've had like dog shit interviews where I got the job. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it, there's no rhyme or reason. So it doesn't help to like overanalyze things in that sense. Like right. sometimes you just got to be like, yeah, I was rejected. You know, it might, it might not be my fault. If I can learn from it and move on, I can. If I can't, you know, like I'll, I'll keep going, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great mindset to keep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you moved after the, the early stages of not having that experience and uh, now you're a lot more appealing of a candidate Mm -hmm. and now you're receiving multiple offers. Mm -hmm. What, and I know this is more of a subjective question, but in your opinion, like what criteria do you base your final choice on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's definitely very personal, you know. Um, there there are a number of different factory or factors that go into a decision like that. Um, I think my order is problem space industry number one, uh, number two, uh, team number three, location number four, pay. Um, number four, pay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'll explain that. And that's not to say something like pay isn't important to me. It's very important to me. Um, but sure. I'll, I'll get into it. So, like I said, first problem space slash industry. 
And so what I mean by that is like, uh, I'm definitely the type of person that really, really cares what I'm working on. Um, and not what in terms of like what specific code I'm writing, although that matters for sure to me too. Like I'm, I'm definitely a backend guy. I'm not a front end guy. So if I got a front end offer, I would like straight up reject it no matter like where it was really. Um, so like that sort of thing for sure, but also like what industry and what problem space you're working in. Um, because like, you know, there are certain industries that I think are just like less appealing to me. Um, like I wouldn't say social media is like my number one choice of industry. Um, you know, or like ads engineering or something like that. Um, and you know, that gets a lot of hate and like, I'm not trying to hate on it whatsoever. It's just like, personally, like I don't find that as appealing as like somebody might. Um, so that's one of the things, um, versus like, you know, I thought clean energy was really fucking sick. And I thought specifically like distributed systems and clean energy was really cool. So like, like this job at Tesla was something that I was really, really interested in getting. Um, so that, I think that's definitely the number one factor for me. Um, because if I'm working on something I don't believe in and I'm not passionate about, it doesn't really matter how good the pay is. Like eventually you're going to get burnt out and tired of like coming to work and like, you're not going to feel passionate about it. And I'm willing to take like a pretty big pay cut in order for that to happen. Uh, not everyone is like that. You know, people have like other responsibilities in life and like, you know, there's no shame in going for pay if you have like student debt to pay off and things like that, uh, which I do. <laughs> um, but one thing I will say is that in most of the tech industry, like pay is pretty good. Uh, and so for that reason, like I'm very lucky in that sense that I can put that last because even if it's last, like, uh, the pay differences I'm accepting probably aren't that huge and I'm still getting paid pretty well. Um, so for me, that's like why that, that would be last. It's not to say pay isn't important. Like if it's like a hundred K difference, like, you know, obviously that's like a big factor. Uh, but it's just to say like the weighting of pay is generally small in my decision matrix just because like pay is like typically pretty high across the board. Um, so the second thing I said was team. Um, that's something that's kind of hard to judge, especially if you're doing like virtual interviews now with like COVID-19 and things like that. Um, and like most internship interviews are virtual as well, but team dynamic is really, really important. And that's something like looking forward into full time that I think we'll care about a lot. Um, it makes a huge difference if you like the people you work with. Um, and I think that kind of comes hand in hand with problem space and industry, because I think like-minded people typically, you know, gravitate towards similar problems and things like that. Um, right. But that's not always true either. Um, so yeah, team is very, very important. Like having somebody you can like eat lunch with and shoot the shit with is very, very important. Like if you don't feel comfortable eating lunch and just like talking shit with your teammates, like it's kind of hard to, you know, stay long-term in that team. Maybe it'll work for a four-month co-op, but like you're never going to want to come back there. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I think is like very underrated uh, in people's decision-making process. I would like sometimes that's even above like company because and the company isn't even on my list here because like if it's a like a really good important problem space really interesting problem space with a good team in a nice city with good pay like i don't really give a shit what the company is um right uh although you know it might be different for somebody who's like wants a big name to make like other companies easier for them and, and there's something to be said for that for sure but yeah this is just my personal way of deciding between offers so yeah so that that would be second team uh, third location i'm a little bit picky about this like i don't want to live in oakville or like anything like that so like no hate but I, yeah i could never live somewhere like that so um you know like i've pretty much narrowed it down to like san francisco new york maybe london <laughs> maybe berlin maybe like hong kong but like that's it uh and if it's not there i don't want to work there um but yeah that's just me personally um right other people might have different different opinions and things like that but i'm definitely a big city kind of kid and i wouldn't live like yeah i wouldn't live somewhere like 
yeah like oakville whatever <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah and then pay obviously uh pay is pretty self-explanatory uh but one thing to keep in mind for pay is like options are a thing too so you know a lot of times people are like oh yeah tesla pays a lot less but like tesla's options are pretty valuable especially like now um so that's something to keep in mind as well when you're when you're evaluating pay uh typically interns don't get options and things like that but yeah when you're going for full-time positions that matters a lot more how how would you go about and like you already kind of landed one obviously as you work at tesla but like how would you go about getting a position in a large company Mm -hmm. good question um so there are a lot of different types of large companies and like applications processes differ quite variedly among them uh, but I think the same strategy you use to apply to like a smaller company apply to a bigger company. Uh, I think the biggest thing is like, if you don't have relevant experience, like if you haven't worked on a team that's like, does the same thing or like similar things at a different company, then you should have something that's like a, a, a very similar project or like a project in that problem space. So let's say you want to work for the Google docs team, right? And you want to work on, you know, like the front end for Google Docs. Well, like, have you done front end work for like, or like, have you made a project that's similar to that? Like that looks really, really impressive, right? On a, on a resume and really, really convinces people that like you're passionate about that, you know, specific space. And, you know, you like, you've worked on technologies that are similar to what they use. Um, so that's really important. Um, using your connects, uh, especially with larger companies, like the 99% chance there's someone from your school that worked there. Like even if you're from a school like Mac, like, uh, which, you know, maybe doesn't have the most graduates in like at Google. Uh, there's definitely a few that have, and maybe it's not even your, your university. Maybe it's your high school. Maybe it's like a cousin's friend. Like, I'm sure you can find somebody in your circles that like works at that company or knows somebody that works in that company. And if you don't, you need to expand your circles for sure. Um, so yeah, pulling on those connections and strings like that, like not necessarily, like you said, to like, Oh, like give me a referral, bro. Like if, if it's your cousin's best friend, like you don't know them like don't message them and be like give me a referral like that guy's gonna say no be like yeah, hey like you know like coffee on me uh i'd love to like learn about your experiences you know or like let's have a phone chat like i'm really interested in this problem space i want to learn more about how you got into it um and if it leads to a referral really leads to a referral and if it doesn't it's gonna lead to some good advice regardless so that's really important uh like i said messaging recruiters so if you know the recruiter for that team or for that uh department at that company which is like almost how every like every big company is structured like a lot of like recruiters work with specific teams. So like there will be a recruiter for this team um, and it's her job or his job to like focus on hiring for that team. So yeah, reaching out to people like that is very important and very useful at large companies. And yeah, I mean, some of them do events and things like that. Um, like uh, I was in Toronto at Walsimple and Uber Toronto, like the Uber Toronto engineering office hosted like an event on streaming applications where they explained like some of the tech they use. And there were like a few engineers from that team. So like going to events like that and talking to an engineer on the team, being like, Hey, like your team does really, really cool work. Talk to the engineer. It doesn't have to be a recruiter. And maybe the engineer can refer you to the recruiter or, you know, he could bring you up to your manager or to his manager and be like, Hey, like this guy's super interested. He has some cool experience. Like, you know, maybe we should interview him and like, you know, it'll work out like that. So those are some tips I have for sure. Keep your ear to the ground and like, yes, places like LinkedIn are like, there's a lot of cringe and there's a lot of bad, uh, but there's some like a lot of good stuff to sift through as well. Like try and like, you know, focus on making your connections meaningful. Like don't just accept everyone because then your feed is like ass because it's always like, oh, this person <laughs> liked this. And it's like the person who liked it isn't even someone you know and they like some like, some, like sus post. 
Um, so like try and keep it like pretty clean and that helps keep your feed clean and keeps your feed working for you rather than like, you know, you working for your feed and like going through your feed. And that's just some advice on social media in general, to be honest, keep your feed working for you. Um, but yeah, especially in LinkedIn. Um, yeah, those are some, those are some advices that I have piece of advice that I have. The last one's actually a really good point, and that's something like you actually don't hear a lot. Just being able to curating the people that you follow better, so that the information on that comes mm-hmm. across your feed is actually more relevant to you. You can gain more um, value out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just increasing or bettering that um, signal to noise ratio. Oh, that's exactly. Otherwise, yeah. like, especially on a platform like LinkedIn, it's very unique in being really conducive towards professional growth. Yeah. It's also uh, very unique in being like pretty trash sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like 90% of it is like people like flexing or like, you know, like making like super irrelevant posts at this point. Uh, and the LinkedIn algorithms are like, they're very good for organic reach, which is like great, yeah. but like bad sometimes where like something that's like a meme or something like shouldn't really have a place on LinkedIn. Uh, but sure. it does if people are interested in it. And that's just kind of how like organic reach works. And you know, mm-hmm. that, that stuff isn't really useful to you. So like, I don't know, like I'd rather like spend 20 minutes on LinkedIn and find like 10 good pieces of content than like spend yeah. 45 minutes and do the same thing personally. But like, yeah, for sure. Especially that those like some aspects of LinkedIn are starting to reflect Facebook a little more. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of <laughs> sucks. I feel like this is a trap that almost every platform goes through at certain points. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I feel like there should be like a university program studying this, like how, the evolution of social media platforms. Like, I feel like it'd be a fascinating program. But. as like a reflection of like social um social psychology i guess maybe it's like a social psychology thing or social computing something yeah like yeah that. yeah that'd be really cool and like you know just exploring how like cultural attitudes towards facebook have shifted and like there's a feedback loop there right because like the more people think facebook isn't cool like the less cool people go on facebook so like facebook becomes <laughs> like a you know and it's like that's definitely in north america but versus like in other countries like facebook is so huge right and like amongst our parents Massive. like our parents use yeah. Facebook bear. So it's like people like talk about, Oh, Facebook is dead, but like Facebook has 1.2 billion users, bro. So like it's Facebook not dead. thriving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially like as university students too, lots of our Facebook groups, um, have, uh, most of the students from our classes, peers and like yeah, some yeah, of our yeah, props are yeah, setting sure. them up too. Yeah. Anyways, so a little off topic, but we'll continue. A little off topic, but yeah, <laughs> bringing that back in a bit. Um, I think one question a lot of people really have is, especially when you, you're going, from a background with no proper experience and now you're transitioning into your first quote-unquote real job mm-hmm. how do you make the most of it how do you navigate that lack of experience and how can you help yourself stand out from fellow interns yeah um it's a good question um i think with an internship it's very it's a very different thing from like being a full-time engineer uh because i will mm-hmm. say that almost every intern is expected to come in with almost nothing Um, you know, it depends on the company you're at and the position and like, you know, the vibes from the interview. Like if you like tell them, you know, everything and like, you know, you're going to hit the ground running from day one and you come in and you don't know shit, then like, yeah, that looks bad. But like most internships, um, and like a lot of like full-time positions as well, like they'll start off knowing that you don't know much and like with the attitude that they're here to teach you, uh, an internship is as much of an investment for the company as, uh, it is like a good experience for you because the company is like pretty much saying like, Hey, I'm going to pay you. Um, even though you're probably not going to do that much for me, uh, in the hopes that like, number one, you like us, number two, you do good work, but number three, that you come back full time 
and it's like a, a good way for the recruiting pipeline, right? Or, or a very good thing for the recruiting pipeline. So um, keep that in mind too. So like if you if you don't know that much and you get an internship like in a really good team and like you're kind of nervous and you have this imposter syndrome, keep that in mind that like, you know, this company's hiring you knowing that you're an intern. They don't expect you to be a full-time engineer on that team. Uh, they do expect you to have full-time responsibilities and like expect you to learn and like, you know, apply yourself. Uh, but they don't expect you to know everything from the beginning. So that helps a lot. Like just knowing that. Um, I, I was definitely like pretty nervous in my first like real software engineering internship. Uh, and then by my third, I was like, yeah, like, you know, I don't know shit, but like I could probably figure it out pretty quickly. So, um, mm-hmm. so like, yeah, just having that faith in yourself and faith in the fact that the team knows that about you is very important. Um, so that's one thing. And then, uh, navigating lack of experience. I think the biggest thing is just be honest. Um, I think a lot of the times, and I did this a bit in my internships too, where I'd be like, oh, like I kind of heard about that. And my, like, you know, you're talking with your mentor, you're like pairing on code or something. And you're like, he's like, oh, like, do you know about this? And like, you're like, oh yeah. You know? Yeah. It means no. Like, don't say like, yeah, like, yeah, means no. Like just, just say like, I don't know this and it'll save you so much time down the line. And don't be ashamed about that. Like never be ashamed about things you don't know. Be ashamed if you say you know something and you, you're a bucket and you can't figure it out that's like something way more to be ashamed for uh in my opinion so yeah that's that's something that's like very very important to keep in mind um mm-hmm. honesty is very important um and then standing out from your fellow interns is the last thing you mentioned um you know um it's not necessarily a competition either like a lot of the times uh, companies will like you know have headcount to hire all the interns that they like that they hired like back as full-time so um, I wouldn't really think of it in terms of like, oh, I want to be better than all the other interns. Uh, but I would think of it in terms of I want to be the best intern I can be. Um, and I actually wrote a Medium article, so you can hit that link in the description <laughs> to go read that Medium article. Uh, but there's like a few tips I had for like standing out from fellow interns. I think the biggest thing is like stay in a growth mindset and stay learning. Um, mm-hmm. Especially as an intern, it's easy to get complacent when you start getting good at things. And like, you know, like, oh, I'm good now. Or like, oh, like I'm just as good as a full-time engineer. Or like, oh, like, my project is going well. Like I don't have to like, I, I can like kind of take my foot off the gas and stop extending. Uh, but I think it's very important to like keep your foot on the gas and keep looking for things you don't know. Because even if you've gotten comfortable in a specific space or like on a co- couple repos or like, you know, a couple projects, like there's so much more that the company offers. And even if it's not in your team, I would encourage you to like look at things you're interested in across the company. And that makes you really, really stand out from uh, fellow interns in the sense that like, yeah, you could do well on your project, but like if you're really looking and making those connections across the company and not just on your team, that's that's really really positive. Uh, another thing that's like often unknown is that um, you know the company is it, it might be different at bigger companies for sure, but for a lot of smaller companies and even for like specific teams on bigger companies, you might be one of the first interns they've had, or you might be like one of the fifth or sixth interns they've had, but likely they don't have like a perfect onboarding process. So like. Focusing on like how you react to the onboarding process and documenting things like that and fixing processes to make it easier for them to like hire back an intern and giving them a lot of feedback on that front is very, very important. Um, and I think a lot of really, a lot of people like really, really appreciate that. So that's something that can really set you apart from an intern, like, or apart from other interns where you like, you know, like, Hey, like, I didn't think this was good about the internship program, but I took notes on this. I think this worked really well. You know, like presenting that to management is like super, super positive. So. Wow, that's, that's a really interesting point, actually. Yeah. Um, so when uh, was there anything stand out, perhaps, or like what were some of the first things about the again, quote unquote, 
real world there like the workforce to really surprise you yeah um quote-unquote real world um so like i mentioned tea matters so much um and that was like kind of really surprising to me because i always assumed like oh like you know like it's like google versus facebook but it's like not true at all um like it's really really what team you work on at google and what team you work on at facebook it's like there isn't really like a i mean obviously there's company culture and that's very very important too and i'll get into that but like there's very much like microcosms of company culture as well um Mm -hmm. and you know some teams might embody some aspects of company culture differently from others um so i know especially at tesla like my team isn't the same as like a lot of other teams at tesla and like you know it's not to say that we're better than other teams but like they are a little bit different in how they operate and like how they do things like you know, a lot of teams will have daily standups, some won't, some things like that, like just practices and like ways that teams communicate and things like that. Um, so I think that's really, really important. And that surprised me a lot, uh, you know, about going into the workforce because I kind of assumed that like companies were kind of monolithic, but that's not true at all. Um, mm. What else? Everyone's just a regular person. Uh, like you have this idea and like imposter syndrome is super real. And maybe we can even do a whole episode on imposter syndrome later. Um, but imposter syndrome is like very very real going into like a big company especially if it's your first one um and you know you start realizing that everybody's just a regular ass person like they play league they like you know play magic the (laughs) gathering like they like play soccer they play ball like that really surprised me as well like i think at wall simple there was like a ball league um it was called ball simple and i actually went to like a couple (laughs) games throughout the season yeah it was super fun and there was just super chill dudes and like I think at one point, one of the guys guarding me was like, you know, he was like a like five five brown, like whatever. And he was like pretty small or whatever. So I was like trash talking him a lot. And he was like 30. And yo, that guy's a Harvard MBA, bro. And I, did, <laughs> and I didn't know until after. And it's like, yo, like it doesn't matter. Like he like, yeah, he's super smart. Yeah, he's like senior head of project, product management and like Harvard MBA. But like, you know, he'll still trash talk you when you play ball like right he'll still call foul when you d- you haven't even hit him so like it's like yeah. whatever like people are regular people too uh, and that surprised yeah. me but you know it, it really shouldn't like you got to remember that like they're regular people all, like everyone who does anything is a person first and foremost and you know like an employee second um so that's something that's really interesting because like you, it's easy to like lose touch of the human aspect when you're just like looking at these jobs online and like right you're trying to be your resume but like people are so much more than the resume so that's really important to know um and then like it sounds like uh sorry, yeah. sorry if i just interject quickly yeah. just about the first point it also sounds like a lot like the reflection of the company culture too like if you don't have that company culture of you know just being friends or just being able to blur the lines of being friends versus coworkers, again like and you did touch on this before is uh that's one of your criteria about the the uh, places that you work mm-hmm. or comparing offers that is um if you're able to be a part of a good team where you know you're able to kind of shoot the shit with each other mm-hmm. yeah yeah no so, you're super yeah. right yeah it depends on company culture for sure but keep in mind that even if you like mm-hmm. even if the company culture isn't conducive to you guys like you know shooting the shit and becoming friends like people are still people at the end of the day so like right it can be a good thing and a bad thing right because you got to remember that like you know people have competing priorities and like people have emotions and like people don't always make rational decisions um so yeah just like keeping in mind that people are people is very important it sounds like super dumb and like you know like obviously people are people like yeah i'm not going to treat people like machines but like you know like it means a lot more than just treating somebody as a machine like it means like being aware of so many different things and like you know people's shared experiences and like histories and like things like that so yeah right okay 
Um, so let's take a bit of a step back and look a little more top down, I guess, when uh, just looking at the co-op experience as a whole, especially when it relates to engineers. Mm-hmm. So Cali or Bust seems to be like this huge thing within the the realm of engineering, especially I know um, at Waterloo that this is like this huge thing yeah. on its own. Yeah. So being someone, I mean, you just you, I know it was kind of cut short a bit and. My condolences for that. But <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Having that experience there, like in Cali, like is that whole notion of Cali or bus? Is it worth the hype it gets? Mm-hmm. Do you find that you actually do learn more over there, or is it a more worthwhile experience than say a local co-op? Yeah, so I, I'm of two minds on this. The first mind is that every experience is what you take out of it. Um, okay. You know, you could be in the most amazing place on earth, but you could be a loaf. You can like not meet people. Or you could be in Oakville and you can meet everybody in Oakville, you know, and there's some crazy people in Oakville. So, um, so that's like my first mind. Right. And then my second mind is, bro, I grew so much from my time in California. Um, Uh and I'm so happy that I went there and it was super, super worth it for me. Uh, and some of the reasons it was worth it for me are like, yeah, number one, the growth, like moving somewhere new, completely alone, figuring shit out on your own. Like it's tough. And like, you know, the beginning is kind of rocky. Like, you know, sometimes you don't have a bank account and you're like, shit, like I got no money. And like my first paycheck bounced because my bank account wasn't set up properly. And everyone has those like moments and shit like that. But it's so worth it in terms of the growth you come out of as a person in terms of like, yeah, like living in a new place, like cooking your own food, doing all that sort of stuff, like being in a new country, getting your SSN, like, I don't know, small, like little adult shit that like just like very much helps your growth as a human being. And number two. Mm-hmm it's honestly not a contest like my bike route to to work at tesla and i was in palo alto i wasn't in san francisco i would pass by like vmware um like like eight of the like biggest software companies in the world are like within like a five minute drive of me and like just like you're so into that experience like you take an uber and your uber pool co-writer works at google and the other one works at facebook and you have like some sick conversation about ai like it's like it's not really a competition in the sense that density there is so high of software engineers mm-hmm. and like like-minded people and like people who are into that sort of stuff that if you do apply yourself as hard as you can, your rate of growth there will be unparalleled just because of the density and the ease of making connections and like the ease of access to different people and like coffee chats and like all that sort of thing. Um, so because of that reason, I will say it is worth it. Uh, but keep in mind that it's worth it like worth it means like you know if you're saying it's worth it it means you already have an implication of like what worth it means to you right and so you need to have a baseline of it so it's not like cali is worth it for the weather you know that's a very like to say that you have to like establish that like you know i like sunny weather and like i don't like cold weather right and then in that case yeah but like so what I'm saying is like, you have to establish why you think Cali is worth it. Like, do you think it'll be worth it for this reason and this reason and this reason? And if those reasons are met, then yeah, it's worth it. But like, you know, one thing that I will will say is like, you know, working at a company in Cali is pretty much the same as working at a company in Toronto. Like your day-to-day coding is probably the exact same. Like, you know, the office is probably like the same. Like maybe your office is a little bigger in California because it's like HQ, but like realistically, it's probably the same office, probably like similar, you know, free food and shit like that. Like, I don't know, like that sort of stuff is probably not worth it. But like things like just like the amount of people who are there and like the ease of making connections, you know, the amount of companies who are there pays way higher in California. 
um, like opportunities are way more accessible because you can just walk down the street and get at them. Uh, conferences, there's so many conferences, like literally just meeting people in your Uber. Uh, the weather, like I like sunny weather. So like that is amazing. Um, and then, you know, certain things aren't like rent is horrible. It's like super expensive. Oh uh, my God, yeah. America is pretty much a third world country in a Gucci belt um, in the sense <laughs> that like, you know, like public services aren't that great, even though taxes mm-hmm. are, like in California is pretty much the same as Ontario. Uh, like the roads aren't as nice, you know, transit sucks, like housing isn't as good. Uh, it's hard to find and it's expensive. Um, cities aren't as clean. So like, yeah, it's not worth it in terms of those things. But like, you got to be very specific about why you're going there. And I think short term for sure, regardless of what your end goals are, it's always worth it because it's an experience you'll grow from like no other. Like you won't grow the same way staying in your same city as you will like going to the Bay and learning something new. So I always think it's worth it for like one term. Whether or not you want to stay there full time, mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of other things to consider. Uh, but yeah, for that reason, I will say Cali, Cali or Bus is definitely the move in co-op. Uh, like if, if those are the things that you're interested in gaining. And it doesn't mean you have to stay in Cali all the time. It doesn't mean you like your experience is worthless if you're in Toronto. But there are some things that you, you know, legitimately can't gain the same way if you're in Toronto, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've had a bunch of different experiences mm-hmm. through your co-op term so far and you're still kind of in the thick of it but since the start of it what belief or behavior or habit have you found has most improved your life mm. hmm, that's a that's a that's a really good question i think belief is or like habit that has most like influenced you know my trajectory throughout co-op is belief in consistency above all else um Mm. and so there's actually a really good book on that that i'm i just finished reading called the slide edge but um more generally like i just think consistency is so so important from like for literally everything so what i mentioned about you know like taking your foot off the gas in a co-op and like like showing up consistently and like you know showing up as an intern who exceeds all the other interns that's all about consistency that's like coming every day to work being ready to learn something new and like taking advantage of new opportunities and things like that and not taking your foot out of the gas getting a job is like about being consistent with lead code you know like consistently doing the small things every day that like other people are like a little bit too lazy to do or like you know put off to the next day and like if you do those every day it'll make huge huge like changes in your life so I think that's been the biggest realization for me. Like it was always like kind of like looking forward is always kind of hard. Cause you're always like, shit, like this person went from, and everyone has that moment where they go from like that, not this to this. And you see them go to that moment and you're like, holy shit. Like this guy was like at Mac, but now he's at Tesla. And it's like, yeah, it's not that simple. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot that goes into that. And you see, like, you see the transition, like you see that butter, like whatever, what was it called? The, what like what is a butterfly called before it's like a a, <laughs> like a caterpillar? A caterpillar. My bad, I forgot the word. Caterpillar. <laughs> uh, so you see the caterpillar and you see the like chrysalis and then you see the butterfly, but like you don't mm-hmm. realize that it's bare time in that chrysalis that and shit's happening in there. You know what I mean? So sometimes right. people just see the caterpillar and then it comes out a butterfly and like, bro, what the fuck happened? I'm like, yeah, they're obviously very different, but like all of it is consistency. All of it is like putting in the little things every day, um, and that's mm-hmm. like the biggest thing I've realized. And like it's been a really great realization and very freeing because you kind of realize that like you know you can as cheesy as it sounds you can literally do anything if you're consistent and you show up every day and you put in the work that you need to do um and so like an example of how that's translated into the rest of my life is like 
the gym and eating healthy, like I definitely hit some plateaus in terms of like, you know, getting shredded or like, you know, like numbers in the gym and things like that. And like, I translated my beliefs about consistency and my learnings about that into the gym, um, from like my co-op experiences and like job hunt experiences. And like, that's been like really positive because like, you know, like having that self-belief and like knowledge that if you do the good, like the small, like important things consistently every day, like you'll get there. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't know. That's been like the biggest learning for me. And it's like, not just even in jobs, but like definitely translated to a lot of different things. Mm. That's a hugely valuable lesson. Yeah. It's one of the small things you can do in life. It'll take you so far. Oh, 100%. I I wish I learned it earlier, honestly. But like, you know, everybody has somewhat of a realization of this. But then when you see it happen, like for me, it was like Code. Like I spent like all of September, October, and November pretty much. Or I want to say August, September, and October, like three months straight, every day after work, I'd Code for an hour and a half every day, no matter what. Right. You know what I mean? And like, that's all shit ton of hours of Code, And that like, (sighs) took me from like you know getting a whatever job in toronto to like having offers to choose from in california which is yeah. like like that's a pretty big jump for me in three months and it was literally just because like i did it consistently so right and that's the i think we probably talked about this before too like in a previous episode of the podcast but the whole notion of it's never too late to start especially when mm-hmm. i mean there's going to be like other software engineers for example that'll be the they'll be looking at you they'll see i don't he's managed to make the tesla he's put in all these hours of leak code practice <laughs> i'm not even that sick either though <laughs> but yeah yeah <laughs> but that's the thing right it's like it's a matter of perception mm-hmm. and they're gonna a lot of people end up just dismissive like oh he's already done he's putting all the work like i'll never be at that level but they'll keep saying that for like the next year for the next two years three five years right and mm-hmm. taking that if you start now like if you start today a year from now when you would have been saying like oh shit like i wish i started a year ago you would have had a full year's worth of experience by that point and that's a lot bro that's a lot yeah it's a lot a lot of um like lessons learned for sure a lot of mistakes made uh, as the quote goes the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago the yeah. second best time is today yeah man yeah. and like i i know firsthand how that feels because like you know not to like overly personally share but like the month of May and June of like 2019 was like some of the worst months of my life. Like, you know, like mm. a lot of my friends were getting good co-ops and things like that, or like people I knew. And like, you know, I felt kind of stuck in Toronto and like, I felt like I wasn't really getting the jobs I wanted. And, you know, I was like, mm. oh shit, like, you know, they're just lucky, whatever, you know, like I'm putting in the work, but nothing's happening. Right. And then it's just like, you start realizing that like, okay, like either you think that and you continue just being a bean or like you start realizing that like, yeah, maybe there's things I'm not doing. Maybe there's things I could do more or maybe like I'm doing the right things. I just got to keep doing them. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the month of May and June were probably some of like hardest lives of my, months of my life versus like, you know, October, November, like November, December, January were like some of the best months of my life. And like it's mm-hmm. because like the work, I just kept putting it in and it started paying off, you know, so. So, OK, so speaking to that a bit, how you were saying like those are like the two worst months of your life. Yeah. Jeez. When you feel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's something that, I mean, like, we all go through that at some point. We feel like the period we're living in is, like, the worst time, the, the worst period we've ever experienced in our life. We feel like it's never going to end, and we don't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. So when you do, when you find yourself in that position, you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, or you've just lost your focus temporarily, because that's it's really easy for that to happen. Mm-hmm. What kind of strategies do you have or do you employ 
to kind of rectify that yeah i think a big thing is forgiveness um when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you know like you feel like things aren't going your way a big thing is hugely forgiveness like don't be like oh i'm a bean i haven't been doing anything like it's all my fault like like i'm not worth it i'm like i'm worthless i'm like you know whatever don't bash yourself like be like hey you know what like things have been tough like it's okay like i haven't done them like you know maybe other things were on my mind maybe other things were competing for priority and maybe like i could have done it and i just literally did it i dropped the ball in it and like that's something you have to accept and like obviously the first stage is like accepting that and being like you know hey like this is what happened like being very honest with yourself and being like this is what happened it doesn't mean i'm a bad person because it happened it doesn't mean i'm a good person if i'm successful because like I, I i don't believe that like i don't believe i'm a good person because i'm successful or like you know i, I don't believe i was a bad person if i was unsuccessful like like i don't think that should be tied to your image of who you are as like a good or bad human being um mm-hmm. personally but you know it's easy to tie that to yourself when like that's something that you're really working for uh so i think the first thing is like accepting it and viewing it as a fact that like you know the stage of life you're in right now isn't what you want out of your life um and then yeah a lot of forgiveness for sure and like not putting pressure on yourself to do it immediately like I don't think anyone should ever wake up and be like, you know, today's the day I'm like going to become a Lico Don. I'm going to do seven hours of Lico today, seven <laughs> hours every day for the next three weeks. And like, I'm going to get a Google offer in two weeks and I'm going to ball. Like, no, you're not, bro. Like, probably not. Maybe you will. And like, maybe you're sick like that. And like, yo, if you are, add me on LinkedIn, <laughs> like, you know, give me some <laughs> referrals. But I'm not personally. And it didn't happen like that for me. It was like, you know, like, okay, I haven't been doing it for bare time. And, you know, maybe I'm not that good at it, but like, I'm going to forgive myself for not having done it. And I know that this is the way to go if I want to do it. And, you know, you just got to put in that 30 minutes that day and be like, you know, I put in 30 minutes. It's better than the zero I had yesterday. And then the next day, you're like, I put in the 45. It was better than the 30 I had yesterday. I put in the hour. It was better than the 45 I had yesterday. Like small incremental gains, I think for sure, is like the way to get out of that rut. Because it's really hard to get out of a rut if you start from zero and you go to 100 and you're like, the next day, you're like, holy shit, that was so hard. Like, fuck that right versus like you're in a rut and you're like okay i'm in a rut but like you know i'm gonna just do like 30 minutes it's gonna be super easy i'll set a timer like that's how much time you spend jacking off whatever like it's not that serious like it's it's not that much time (laughs) and it's like uh it's easy to make that commitment and that's like very useful in terms of like getting your momentum starting to go the other way because momentum is like yeah momentum is very hard to shift like if your momentum is extremely negative it's very hard to make it extremely positive immediately. Like you want to start like chipping away at that and like slowly shifting to the other direction. And the same way goes for like success. Like if you're like super fit eating like, you know, seven Krispy Kreme donuts for dinner, like it's not going to kill you. Like you're not going to lose your abs tomorrow. You know what I mean? But like if you do that every day for like five, six weeks, like, yeah, you're going to, you're definitely going to lose your abs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And it's the same way like negative negatively. And it's important to keep that in mind and not put pressure on yourself to like, change it super quick um mm-hmm. yeah so the whole like notion of just watch your daily routines watch the habits that you're forming yeah i'm a huge believer in those oh you know, yeah and, and the habits are basically we are what is a quote what aristotle said right like we are what we repeatedly do yeah and yeah that's so true like if you if all you do every day is eat Krispy cream donuts <laughs> you are a Krispy cream donut you know, oh absolutely yeah you're gonna start looking round bro <laughs> bro it's you're looking very round um so 
looking at the current state of affairs, um, and like you were, of course, affected by this as well, but there's a lot of um, individuals right now who were banking on lining up a co-op for the next term that were recently canceled due to the COVID-19 concerns. Yeah. If you were within that position, how would you navigate that? So full disclaimer, I might be in that position. I don't know yet. Twitter hasn't released statements or anything like that. So right. <laughs> this is this is a good exercise, you know, to think about what I would knock do. on wood. Yeah, yeah ho- I mean, hopefully wood, it doesn't like... happen. Um, and I think for most big companies, that's not happening. Like Google made theirs fully remote. Uh, Microsoft is probably following suit soon and like things like that. But, you know, if, if that were the case and obviously I'm in a privileged position because mm-hmm. the worst case, if they don't make it not, like remote. Uh, I'm still a U.S. citizen, so I, I'm in a privileged scenario because I don't need a J-1 visa. So what's happening with a lot of people is like um, COVID-19 is m- like making companies either go remote or cancel their internship or switch to like only in person. And if it's like only in person and they're not going remote, then if you're a Canadian student, you can't earn U.S. income unless you have a J-1 visa. Um, like any Canadian citizen can go to the U.S. for a period of six months. Like with without a visa, like it's fine, but like you can't earn money in the U.S. unless you have a visa. Um, so I'm very lucky because even if that happens, and like the problem is like you, the U.S. canceled issuing visas because of COVID, right? right? So like let's say a company, like an example of a company that did this is Riot Games, the guys who make League of Legends. Uh, so one of my friends is co-oping there, or is supposed to co-op there over the summer, but then the U.S. canceled J1 visas, and Riot said we're only going to run this program in person. We're not going to run it remotely. So because he's Canadian, like if the U.S like holds true to their ban on visas that he can't do it because he can't go to California and do it um, right. legally. Um, so I'm very lucky in that sense. Cause if that happens, I can still go because I'm a U.S. citizen. Um, but you know, back to your question, like how would I approach not getting a summer co-op placement? I think like if that happens, the most immediate concern you should have is lining up a backup, backup offer in Toronto. And I know for sure that there are still Toronto companies hiring for summer. There are like a few, like more than a few companies hiring and, you know, obviously do your searches on LinkedIn. Like I'm not going to do your search for you, but like there are like plenty of companies hiring in Toronto, like as we speak. Um, and, you know, I would like definitely just get on that hustle as quick as possible if that happened to you. And maybe even if it's not happening to you, like, you know, just like, like preemptively do it. It might be even be a good idea. Uh, but on top of that, um, like if that's not an option and you can't do anything like that, Man, like this is a shitty situation, but at the end of the day, either you can spend this summer like feeling bad that you lost whatever internship you had or, um, you know, you can like make the most of the time you have. And I think there's like, you know, like I mentioned, like I did unpaid work in my second year summer. And even if I wasn't doing that unpaid work, I could have like pretty much done as much as I could to like kind of prepare myself for my next internship. So what I mean by that is like working on projects that like you're passionate about working on like, you know, like contract work for like clients and things like that. Like if you know a friend who wants a website for this, like try and build it for them. Um, Yeah. So like there's definitely like so many things that you can do to like make a summer productive in terms of like an internship. Um, If you're an engineering student or otherwise, like if you're a journalism student, like maybe like on a write for university paper or like start start a blog, like start interviewing people like over the phone or something like that. You know, there's so many ways that you can stay in that hustle mindset even without a job. And those are always positive things. Maybe they won't result in you getting paid for an internship, uh, but it'll definitely result in you having a stacked resume for next application season. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you were already good enough to get a job right now. So like that's, that's just gonna lead to better things down the road. 
Um, so that's the number one advice I'd have, like try and make the most of your summer, even if that doesn't happen. Um, but you know, obviously like it's totally fine if you feel bummy about that, you know, like it is a super shitty situation. Like that it couldn't have really been precedented and keep in mind, like companies are suffering a lot for this too. Like they're not canceling cause like mm-hmm. they don't want you. They're canceling cause some of these companies like literally just can't go on without this like funding or whatever. So yeah, mm-hmm. man, like, I don't know. There's still so many things you could do to like make it a productive summer uh in terms of, like personal projects and things like that and one thing like i wanted to mention before but it's very very relevant to this like you didn't become an engineer or like maybe i'm like overstepping when i say this but like i for one didn't become an engineer to intern at companies i became an engineer because i love building things like i love like working on interesting problems and like building cool things like i didn't become an engineer so just so i could intern at a big company so realistically mm-hmm. like how is your ability to build cool projects on interesting problems affected by COVID-19? Yeah, maybe it means you can't do your internship, but like you could still work on cool things. You could still build things Mm -hmm. you wanna work on. There's still so many interesting problems. There's a big problem, it's called COVID. Like, I don't know, like there's there's a lot of like data stuff you could do with that too. I don't know, there's so many things to work on. And like to say that without the internship, like your summer is ruined is like, you know, obviously it sucks, but like that's, that's not true whatsoever. So yeah that's that's some of my advice mm. it's because it's a unique position too like everybody knows how shitty the situation is mm-hmm. but that also means that you can kind of leverage the situation to make yourself shine a little bit more yeah because there's a lot of people who can yeah kind of just be in their fields just down in the dumps about the whole situation sure. and there's other people who are just going to make the most of it and yeah like you said like there's plenty of public available data sets that you can maybe like mess around with mm-hmm. or just i don't know like whatever interests you trying to find a way to reflect that within the situation at hand definitely yeah so senior fwad tofu admiral i have one (laughs) last closing question for you absolutely what advice would you give to a smart driven college student that's about to enter the quote-unquote real world and you don't have to necessarily answer the second part but like what advice should they ignore hmm uh for the so for the first one i mean there's a lot of advice but i think the biggest thing is like yeah like focus on the little things you can do every day uh there's a lot of things that won't be in your control you know like maybe your housing situation is fucked like maybe you know you're like far from home and you miss your parents and like focus on little things you can do every day like you can call your mom every day you know if that's the case or Mm. you know you can spend your day at a coffee shop instead every day or you know well i mean you can now but (laughs) hopefully you can when you're hearing this um but focus on those little things that you can do that are in your control it's really hard like things become hard sometimes and they become even harder if you think you can't control them uh but once you start focusing on the things in your control you start realizing that a lot of those things do help the things that aren't in in your control and there's like a snowball effect there so that's like a big piece of advice i would have and like kind of goes with the theme you know like consistency like the little things every day that makes a huge difference down the line and that's like you know i sound like a broken record saying this for like that's been so true in my life and i'm sure it'll be true in yours as well um mm-hmm. you, you know in terms of corporate culture and stuff another thing to, to keep in mind is yeah everyone's people but also all, everyone's figuring this out um you know you don't need to know everything you don't need to know that the office had like this or like you know like oh you weren't supposed to do this because like the CEO like doesn't like it when people do this like you know ask people don't, don't be afraid to ask questions like nobody's gonna say like oh you're being you're asking me a question like haha you don't know this like nah nobody's gonna say that like 
everybody is very open to answering your questions and fielding those. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid to ask questions for sure. It's it's way worse. In my opinion, it's it's way worse to pretend to know something. But like, I don't know. Like a big thing that, that changed for me is I think in my term at Walsimpool, I had this conversation with my mentor and he, he brought up a point that like really changed changed how I thought about it. He was like, have you ever been told by someone that you asked too many questions? And I was like, no. And he's like, even if that happens to you, like, why does that matter? You just ask a few less, like, it's fine. But like, you know, the alternative is like pretending to know things or like never asking questions and never figuring things out and like, you know, not getting your work done. So like I'd much like the consequences of erring on the side of asking too many questions are very low. Like there's almost no consequences. Like all that happens is someone's slightly annoyed and they're like, yo, like, I think you can figure it out on your own. Like, you don't need to ask me this. And then, yeah, like take the hint and like, don't keep asking that question. But like the consequences are pretty low. So always err on that side because the upside is like huge. Uh, you know, always about like downside management, and upside maximization. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's some, some other advice. What advice should they ignore? <sighs> I mean, any advice that doesn't kind of go with your worldview and your personal philosophy, you should ignore. Um, like if you're an introverted person, like you don't need to take somebody's advice that like, oh, you should go to every office party. Like, no, like don't go if you don't want to go. Like, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, if you don't want to go, don't go. Like, ignore things that don't fit with your personal philosophy and your personality. Like, yeah, obviously there's something to be said about expanding your boundaries and you know, you can judge how much you want to expand those boundaries yourself. Nobody can really say that for you. Uh, but overall, if something doesn't fit well with like, who you are or like, you know, maybe you're Muslim and you don't like drinking, you don't have to go to the bar with your coworkers every night. You know, um, you, maybe you can find other ways of connecting with them or like, you know, being personal or relatable to them. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like any advice that kind of just goes against that, like I think you should ignore. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. Absolutely. It's been uh, a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Speaking with you, getting into your head. Yeah. And uh, I hope the listeners can take some value out of the, the interview that we had today because mm-hmm. I know for sure there were some gems hidden in there. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. And I just want to say like, you know, I don't think I'm top shit or anything like that. Like, big disclaimer like this stuff has worked personally for me like you know and like i i'm like not i don't want to say satisfied with where i'm at and there's still so much i have to learn but like i have made progress that i'm proud of and like you know maybe it'll help you maybe it doesn't uh but obviously i'm not the only one who knows anything about all this and like so many people have helped me throughout my journey on this so yeah amen brother shout out to all the people out there that are always willing to lend a helping hand all you gotta do is ask and i will never be I never cease to be amazed by how much people really go out of their way to help out, especially like individuals in our position, like students who are just trying to pave the way forward through their life. Absolutely. People love helping us out. Like Beautiful. And thank you so much. Beautiful to way to end that, bro. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Yeah. Stay tuned. More episodes coming. Quarantine season, bro. Quarantine season. Stay home. <laughs>